Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, good morning. Welcome, everybody, uh, especially those at our Vallejo campus. Uh, it was great to be with you last weekend, and uh, glad you're back with us today. Um, a couple of quick announcements before I get into today's message. Um, the first is, is that if you are using the app, the new app to take notes, it's a little bit different. If, you, um, if you're using iOS, uh, an Apple product, at the bottom there is a place, along the very bottom there's a place to click on for sermon notes. And if you're using Android, it's actually at the top of that page, um, but you can click on that, it'll go to the sermon notes section. And then you'll find also at the top um, of the sermon notes section, a place to email and a place to share. If you click email, that is used to, to communicate with us. If you've got a question or something you want clarified, or if you want to, uh, what was that book you quoted or something like that. So if you click email, it's going to come to the church office. We already know the sermon. Okay, so if you want to send it to your own email, click on the share button, and then you can set up to send it to your own email. Okay, that makes sense. I know technically savvy people here. Um, the other announcement has to do with baptism. We have a baptism coming up next week, and today on both campuses, we are having a baptism information meetings. It's about 15-minute meeting. If you are interested in baptism, if you've not been baptized, if you want to find out more about baptism, uh, please hang around about 10 or 15 minutes after the service. We'll meet together and um, here on the Benicia campus, it'll be in temp room one, which is over by the uh, cafe. All right. So with all of that, we are finishing up our series called uh, What Makes You Happy? And uh, a lot of this came from uh, a, a number of uh, different researchers now in the field of psychology have been doing a lot of research in this whole idea of happiness, that psychology has mostly been focused on what makes people sad and de- depressed and how they deal with that stuff. But more recently, they've been looking at happiness, and a lot of the happiness research has found that there are certain life practices, things that you and I can do, about 40% on average of our happiness comes from the way that we approach our lives and the life practices that we engage in in our lives. And what's very interesting is that most all of those life practices are all things God told us about in his word thousands of years ago. It turns out God knew how we were made and what would make us happy. And, um, and now we're just kind of discovering it. One of the great discoveries, I think it's the greatest discovery and a bit of a surprise to most of these research is the goal and the, the, the way that faith contributes to our personal happiness. So that's why we've been doing this whole series. And today we're wrapping it up. And specifically, as we go through kind of an overview of all of this and an overview through the book of Philippians, we're going to look at exactly what faith does, how faith contributes, your faith, my faith contributes to our personal happiness. So um, here's some of the things that they found, by the way. Um, that people who are actively engaged in, in their faith, actively engaged in a church or practicing their religion, what they have found is in general that they are happier, they live happier lives, they are healthier, and that they recover more quickly from traumatic experiences. There was one, surgery, uh, one study that was done on those people who had had serious cardiac surgery. And one of the things that they found is that people of faith who put their strength and their comfort in God instead of trying to deal with this whole thing on their own. 
what they found was that people of faith were three times more likely to be alive six months later. That's how faith increased their, their, um, their ability to heal. Here's another one. Another study found that 47% of those who practiced their religion, who were engaged in religious practices or attending church services more than once a month, or more than once a week, 47% of those people described themselves as very happy, as opposed to only 28% of people who described themselves as very happy who only go to church less than once a month. So if your life is not particularly happy, you just need to go to church more, okay? And of course, I'm saying that to the wrong people because you're here. Um, there are actually two particular researchers that have, have been kind of at the vanguard of this. One of them is a guy named Martin Seligman. The other is a, a lady named Sonia Lubomirsky, and it's taken me all week practicing to say that name. Um, but, and they're not particularly religious people, but they've both written about their research and their studies. Uh, Dr. Seligman put it this way. He said, there are three different ways of living your life. There is what he calls the, um, the pleasant life. The pleasant life is wrapped up in the successful pursuit of positive feelings. In other words, they're looking for happiness. They're pursuing happiness. They're looking for those things that will make them happy. And that's a pleasant way to live. But it's not the best way to live. On top of that, there is what he calls the good life. The good life is not about maximizing positive emotion. The good life is wrapped up in successfully using your signature strengths to obtain abundant and authentic gratification. In other words, using your gifts and talents, using them in such a way to help others, that actually leads to a better way of living that he calls the good life. But there's another one that he identifies, and he calls this one the meaningful life. And the meaningful life has that idea of using your gifts and your talents and your abilities to help other people, but it adds one more dimension. Using your signature strengths in the service of something larger than you are. Now, he doesn't use the word God, but what he's saying is seeing that your gifts and your abilities and talents and using them for the bigger picture, the larger picture, something bigger than yourself. He says, that's the meaningful life. Sonia, um, <laughs> Sonia Lubomirsky, I'm probably still not saying that right. In her book, The How of Happiness, she writes these words. Scientists can no longer ignore the powerful influence of spirituality and religion on health and well-being. If nothing else, the statistics should compel them. She goes on, so you choose, if you choose, and in your own way, you can harness the benefits of faith to improve your happiness and your life. Not particularly religious people. In fact, in both of their books, they, they say, it. I'm not, but... What I have found in the research is that faith contributes to personal happiness and meaningful living. And so I can't think of any better way to wrap this whole series up as seeing how specifically your faith in God, my faith in God, contributes to personal happiness. And again, we're in the book of Philippians at the very beginning of this letter that Paul wrote to a church in a city called Philippi. It begins this letter this way. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus, at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, with happiness, 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This whole letter could be considered a handbook on happiness because the whole letter, Paul is writing to this church saying how happy he is and the joy that it brings him to see their progress and their growth in their faith and how that is contributing to their own sense of happiness. And so through this, I'm going to give you a couple of ways specifically that your faith in God increases or contributes to the happiness in your life. And the first one is this, that it provides us a constant strategy for living. Your faith in God gives you kind of a blueprint for life. It gives you a way about going through life because much of our unhappiness, much of our unhappiness in life comes from our own failures, our own personal struggles, our hangups, those things about us that we don't like, and with that, the feeling that I'm never going to change. And that is a great source of our unhappiness. Faith in God tells us you're not in this by yourself. That that change can happen, but it's not going to be just by you trying it by willpower. That God is involved in this. He goes on. He says this way. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. In other words, it's God's work in you. That's, by the way, that's when we talk about around here that we are all people in process. That's the idea behind it. That we are all, this is kind of verse that we, we took that from, that we're all a work in progress. Years ago, back when I was in high school, I attended a week-long youth conference. And, and at the end of the conference, all of us who attended it got a graduation present. It was a little badge, a little pin, you know, that you could pin on your shirt. And it looked something like this. PBP. G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. What in the world does that mean? Well, here's what it stands for. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. (laughs) That's a pretty good uh, motto for life. Not just when you're a high school student, but all through life. It's that sense that God isn't finished with me yet. He's doing the work and he will carry it on to completion. He's just not done yet. Ruth Bell Graham, the, um, the uh, wife of Billy Graham, the evangelist, um, one day they were traveling and they went through a stretch of road where there was road work being done, you know, with the flag man and the whole deal. And they kind of got through that. And at the end of that little section of road, there was a sign and it said, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. And she remarked that, that she says, you know, that's something I would like to have on my gravestone. <laughs> and it is. <laughs> If you go today to her grave site on the gravestone, that's exactly what it says. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. God is at work in us. We're not in this all on our own. And by the way, he is the reason why we can have that confidence. He is the one that is the motivation for that work to be done in us. Paul put it this way. He said, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love. In other words, 
If there is one shred of evidence in your life that God is there and he is at work, trust him. Any, any sense of it. If there's just one little hint that you've given your life to Christ and he is at work in your life, then let him carry that work out. Be confident in that. He is the one that will do that work in you. And our happiness comes as a byproduct of those life practices and those changes that he's making in our life. And his presence will be with you. He will strengthen you. He will shape you. He will form your character. And it's your life and your faith in him that will give you that meaningful, joyful, happy, filled life that you're longing for. That's what our faith in God does. Something else, that our faith in God gives us a quiet confidence in the face of our difficulties. Remember, for the last couple of weeks, the kind of happiness that we're talking about is not happiness dependent on circumstances. We're talking about something much more meaningful, something much deeper, if you will, something that lasts through whatever we're going through, because nobody gets a pass when it comes to difficulty in life. It's not that people of faith never have problems or never face struggles or never have times of disappointment. Everybody goes through those things. Paul himself is writing this letter from prison. He has been arrested for the faith. He is in prison, and at this point, he has no idea what it's going to lead to. He doesn't know if he's going to be released from prison or if he's going to be put to death. But it's in that prison that he writes this letter, and he writes about happiness. He writes about joy. He says to them this. He says, I will continue to rejoice. I'm not giving up on this. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Your prayers, God's provision, my deliverance. Now, he's not being naive. He's not kind of just denying that he's in a tough spot right now. He's just saying that I have deep inside of me this confidence and this sense that somehow, somehow, God is at work in all of this, and somehow he will bring good out of it. And that's what our faith in God gives us. It gives us that sense that our life is in his hands. And no matter what we're going through, he will carry us through. Sometimes you hear people say things like, well, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a purpose. I'm not so sure about that. But what I am sure about is that God is at work in everything to bring meaning That God is at work in every situation in my life to bring reason and purpose. And that's what Paul's talking about here. At the heart of his confidence is this belief and trust that God is in control. And however it works out, and I don't know how it's going to work out, God is somehow bringing good through all of this. There was another study that was done through all of this uh, research that's being done. And they did a study on people who were going through chemotherapy. And what they found in, in interviewing these people and, and watching how they went through the chemotherapy treatments and all that, that people who had a faith in God, people who had a confidence that God was in control and they were going to trust him through all of this, they were better at coping through all of this than those who were trying to do it in their own strength. 
That it's our faith in God that gives us this sense that God is at work and I can trust him and I don't know how it's going to work out, but he's in control because I put my life in his hands. And he's given us a coping mechanism, if you will. It's called prayer. (laughs) That connection with God to remind ourselves he's still there, he is with us, and he will carry us through. Paul writes about it to the Philippian church. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with your thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious about what? Anything. But in what kind of situations? Every situation. That it doesn't matter what your life circumstances are right now. You have an ability to bring whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're going through, you can bring it to God. And you don't have to carry that burden on your own. You don't have to be worrying about it. You don't have to be anxious about it. Rest in him. He will carry you through. And in there, you will find that even when life doesn't go the way that you planned, that you can trust that God has a higher purpose in it. And that will be a sense of, bring you a sense of hope and gratitude and joy. Another way, that our faith in God gives a sense of meaning about our lives. That our lives in general. What our faith in God does is it connects us to that higher purpose. Our trust in him gives meaning and purpose to our life. That that we begin to understand that there's a much greater purpose to our lives than what we might experience from day to day. That our everyday experiences somehow, somehow have greater meaning than what we might be going through at any one time. That we find our fullest identity in him and he brings meaning and purpose to our lives. Paul had spent most of his life pursuing the wrong things. They weren't bad things. In fact, many of them were good things. They were just the wrong things. He was looking for meaning and satisfaction in the things that he was doing. He was trying to find that purpose by all of these religious activities and and all of these things that he thought he was doing for God. And then he had this encounter with Jesus Christ, and it changed everything. That all of that stuff that he had depended on all of a sudden became meaningless to him and, and his life in Christ became everything to him. And he wrote about it this way. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. Now, that word garbage, that's kind of a sanitized version. They are, our, our New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And a more accurate translation of that word garbage Well, it's a word I'm not comfortable saying in church, okay? But to kind of give you the idea, I'll give you a picture. Okay? That's what he's saying. All this stuff that I was doing that I thought I was doing for God, all these things that I was doing that I thought was bringing meaning to my life, all these pursuits that I was engaged in looking for that purpose and meaning for my life, they aren't worth spit, okay? They're garbage because I have found something more. His faith in Christ changed his whole outlook on life, changed everything. And now all of his time and his energy and his resources and talents and everything about it became focused 
on one thing, his life in Christ. He goes on. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In other words, God's got a hold of my life. And now I want to take hold of everything he has for me in it. That this is now the meaning and purpose of my life. Taking hold of everything that Christ took hold of me for. And in case you think that's only for apostles or writers of the New Testament or pastors or teachers, he goes on and says, all of us, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. In other words, God has shaped you, gifted you, given you certain talents and abilities. He has put within you a heart that beats strongly for something And you are to take all of those things and use them for his greater purpose in your life. Dr. Henry Cloud, also a psychologist, but also this time a Christian. He has written his book, The Law of Happiness, talking about all these different things. And here's what he writes about this. It it, it actually comes from an encounter, two encounters that he had with with two men who were in a similar, similar occupation. He writes, many years ago... I was talking to a man in the home building business who was considering a career change. When I asked him why, he said something like this. Building houses has no meaning. I want my work to mean something. I buy a piece of land, build a bunch of houses, turn it around and sell them, make a pile of money and go on to the next deal. It just doesn't mean anything, he said. I hate my work. Not long after, I was talking to another home builder and he said something quite different. I love my work. If it weren't for my work, I don't know what I would do. Why is that, I asked. It just gives me so much meaning, he said. Really, I said, how? My first thought was, I wish you would talk to that other guy, but I refrained. Instead, I just listened and was amazed at the contrast. Well, he said, it starts when I look at a piece of a land from a helicopter. In my mind's eye, I see cul-de-sac with Children playing and and green belts with playgrounds where they're riding their bikes. Then when we design the houses and I meet with the architects, I make sure that the homes are planned in a way that they give great spaces for people to be together. Like, don't put the kitchen around the corner from the den, I tell the architects. Everyone should be connected to whoever is cooking and is right there in the action. Then I see the fireplace where the stockings will hang at Christmas, where the kids will be gathered, or the stairs, where a teenage girl will one day walk down in her prom dress to meet her date. And when I think about how we are creating communities and homes where people will build their lives, their families, and their friendships, what could be more meaningful than that? Two men... In the exact same occupation, with a whole different perspective. Because one of them saw what they were doing from the bigger picture. And that's the point. Because of your faith in God and what he is doing in your life, he has given you those resources. He has given you those those talents and abilities and gifts. He has given you all of those things, not to spend on yourself, 
but to use them for his greater purpose. And when you do that, that's where you find that meaningful life. That's where you find a life of true joy and happiness and meaning. And the circumstances don't change that because you know there's something deeper that you're doing with your life. And that becomes the source of happiness. The last one is that our faith in God gives us a solid foundation on which to put our trust. This is what I mean by that. The way that you experience the happiness or the joy of God in your life is by taking actual steps of faith. See, it, it, it's, it's, it's not just learning about things. Because see, there's a big difference between believing in God and trusting in God. You can believe in God, but for the most part, that just remains theoretical unless you act on that belief. Trusting in God is actually doing it. It works like this. I read God's word or I hear teachings of God's word and I begin to understand God's ways. I begin to understand his precepts and his commands. And then I get to the point where I say, okay, now that I understand that, I got to believe that's really true, that it really is the right way to live. It's the best way to live. That God created me, he designed me, he knows what will make my life meaningful and happy, and I got to believe that that's true. And then I have to act on it. See, Paul wrote to this church, he said, he who began a good work will carry on completion. He's doing a work in you. But he goes on and he says, so then... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his purpose. In other words, God's at work in you, but you have a part in this. That you respond to the work that God is doing. See, following Christ is a lifelong journey. It goes throughout your whole life. And, and, and what you find is that as you begin to understand his ways and truly believe that his right ways are right and good and begin to act on them, that's where you experience that meaningful, happy, joyful life. So I read in God's word, and he says, this is how you're supposed to handle your finances. And I say, but that's hard. I mean, that, that, means, that means I'm going to have to actually be generous. That, that, means, that means I'm going to have to actually do a budget. That means I'm actually going to have to care about how I handle my finances. But he says, this is how you handle your finances. And so I say, okay, God, if you designed me and you created me and you shaped me and you know what's best for my life, I'm going to trust you and I'm actually going to handle my finances the way that you say to do that. And when I do, I discover I put my trust in God, and he really was right. (laughs) It really is the best way to live. I read in his word, and I see that one of the greatest contributors to my life will be when I serve other people. And I think to myself, but that's going to be hard. That means I'm going to have to give up some of my free time. That means I'm actually going to have to do something. But I make the decision and I believe, okay, God, if this is the way my life is supposed to be run and this is how I'm supposed to live it out, then I will do that. And I do start serving and I start using those gifts and talents and I discover that it really does bring joy to my life. And God knew what he was talking about and it really is the best way to live. God says, forgive those 
who have hurt you. And I say to myself, but God, you don't know how badly I hurt. You don't understand what they did to me. I don't know if I can ever let that go. I want to see them suffer as much as I suffered. But you say this is the best way to live. So I'm going to decide to forgive and I choose forgiveness and I actually let it go. And what I discover is it sets me free. And it's the best way to live. I read God's word and he says, listen, if you have become a follower of mine, one of the first acts of obedience and discipleship is you need to get baptized. Wait a minute, I'm saved by faith. Yes, you are, but this is an act of obedience. But it just seems so stupid. I mean, I'm standing there in a tub of water and got to stand in front of people. And I gotta, I'm nervous. I've got to tell my story. And what's the big deal about water anyway? But he says I should do it. And it's really the best way to launch my life in Christ. So I become obedient and I get baptized and I discover it changes the way that I look at life because now I've made a public declaration that this is the way I'm going with my life. You see, that's how it is. That's how it is. I read in God's word, I understand it, and then I believe it enough to actually do it. And so Paul, in this whole letter that he has written to this church about how to find true, lasting, meaningful joy and happiness in your life, he finishes it all with these words. So whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. That the only way you're going to truly experience this kind of life is you actually live this kind of life. And that's that lifelong journey because we are constantly learning and discovering God's truth. And we've always got to make a decision about that. It doesn't always make sense, but God, if you say that's the best way to live my life and you love me and you gave your life for me and and you want the best for me, then I'm going to do that. And I do. And I discover it really is the best way to live. I love the way that Andy Stanley puts it. He says, following Jesus makes life better. And it makes you better at life. Just bow your heads with me. And again, those of you at our Vallejo campus, uh, your uh, campus host is going to be here. Because this is a moment of decision for all of us. Because we've heard some things and we've read some things but now there's something to do. And so I'm going to ask people here in this room in Benicia to make some decisions about this and you and Vallejo to do the same and your campus host is going to acknowledge those things as you do because I'm going to ask you to raise a hand that if there is a point in your life of obedience that you've been ignoring, maybe it's about forgiveness, maybe it's about relationships, um, maybe it's about your finances, maybe it's about serving. But today you're saying, you know what? I need to do something with this. Maybe it's baptism. Whatever it might be. If you're just here today, or, or, or maybe, maybe, maybe you're going through a difficult time right now, and it's hard to believe that God could actually bring about good in here. And, and it's really tough to trust him right now. But he said you can And maybe that is it for you. 
But if you're here and in any way, there is a response that you need to make in obedience to Christ. Serving, giving, forgiving, trusting. Today, you're willing to say, I make that choice. Today, I decide. And tomorrow, I'm going to start living with the decision I'm making now. If I could pray for you and acknowledge you in that decision, I'm going to ask you, just raise your hand. And as you do, look up, catch my eye. I want to acknowledge you and say, yeah, 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 yep, yeah, 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 yes, yes, yeah, 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 wow, yeah, all over this room. It's so vital because this is where change begins to happen. Now, maybe you're here today, and maybe it's taken a first step of faith. See, Christ came to this earth and gave his life on a cross in payment for your sin and mine so we could restore that relationship with God that he designed us for. And maybe for you today, it's a first step of faith. It's just a willingness to say, God, I cannot do this on my own. And my failures and my mistakes and my sin make it clear. My life cannot be lived by myself. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I'm going to put my life in your hands. And for you today, that's a first-time decision. Same thing. Would you just raise your hand? And when you do, look up, catch my eye because I want to acknowledge you and pray with you. Legion of prayer as we close. All right. So, Lord, this is our prayer today. You know us. You created us. You designed us. You have a purpose for our lives. And whether it's a first-time decision or just an affirmation about this particular area of my life, what I am saying today is, I want to do things your way. I am putting my life in your hands. Take me with my faults and my failures, my mistakes, my sin. Bring your forgiveness and your grace to my life. Let your grace infuse me and show me how to follow you. And that tomorrow when I get up and begin my regular work week, that I would live out the decision I'm making today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.